podcast. I'm your host, Rodney Truett Jr. I am the founder and creative director at Untraditional, a graphic design studio focused on helping creators and brands grow, thrive, and achieve more through design. In today's episode, we talk to Smooth Brain Sev, a content creator and streamer on Twitch. We talk about everything from how he got started in the music to how he got into game casting for an indie game called Killer Queen Black. This is an awesome episode. You don't want to miss it. So, Thank you, and let's roll that intro. What is going on, people? This is the Untraditional Podcast. My name is Rodney Truett Jr., as always, also known as Fissure. Uh, I think I messed that part up last time. So, <laughs> got it right this time. I am joined with my friend, good guy, great streamer, a, uh, a new video game caster in the uh, Killer Queen Black scene. His name is Smooth Brain Sev. Smooth Brain, what is going on, brother? What's up, gang? Good to be here. Fish, thanks so much for having me. Really, really excited to take a crack at at the interview podcasting world. It's super cool. I haven't had the chance really to hop on a thing like this before, so I appreciate the invite, brother. Bro, that, no problem at all. Like I said with um, Future last week, dude, people like you, gotta get on man super super entertaining you're 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 very upbeat um never really a a down doll moment in your streams and i've been in many streams like you're always talking to the chat you're always being vibrant you're always doing what you got to do and i appreciate about you sir oh thank you so much man appreciate that about you as well and your content it's cool it's, it's been good to make the connection early that we could work up to this point now yeah for real man um i you know over the past couple of days i've been trying to really think and i was going to ask you this question um but I kind of don't remember where we met. Like, I, either, either I think it was on Instagram or through, uh, I don't know if you know, the Tempestari. I know Tempestari, yeah. Yeah, and I think it was in his Discord that we met. I wasn't really all that sure. So, um, do you know? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm thinking back. I'm thinking back. I I think the first thing I saw was some of your, your stream overlay art on Instagram, actually. I think that's right. We first made the connection way, way early on. Followed the link, hopped on the stream, started talking COD zombies, and then after that, it just kind of kept, kept rolling. But I remember, I remember talking really early on about uh, getting some stuff, getting some stream time set up early on in Instagram, if I remember correctly. Yeah, dude, definitely, man. Like I, I've always been the type of person, you know, like if you don't uh, reach out to other people around you, if you don't grow other people around you, um, then you're not going to survive in the stream world honestly yeah. like you 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 need that that brotherhood that camaraderie that that comes with uh with growing with growth um so i'm i'm really glad i got to make that connection with you man like you you you've been a a, a stable friend positive friend and i appreciate that of course man same to you yes sir okay so starting it off man um how did you grow up dude how did you grow up uh i grew up just, I mean, pretty standard, I guess. I'm still in my hometown. Um, was your average average kid through elementary, middle school. Was just a little ahead of the curve. Skipped a class here and there um, until high school. And I was like, oh, I never learned how to. I never learned how to try hard. So I started diving off, focused on music through high school. 
um, we ended up getting really into it and just kind of rolled with that for a really, really long time, all the way up until the pandemic, uh, actually. Um, so just kind of just kind of did my thing, got through into high school, um, got a couple of friends from high school that I still hang out with and game with pretty regularly. Um, they were a big part of what got me into games specifically really early on. Uh, they're also the ones that introduced me just to the worst game possible, which was League of Legends back in the day. And I was just this <laughs> ragey little high schooler, sophomore playing League of Legends back in the day. So shout out to them for getting me uh, started on the rage game early. Uh, and then outside of game stuff, just kind of pretty, pretty loner, didn't have a whole ton of friends outside, didn't have a whole lot of social time, ended up going to the community college in, uh, in the area, went to the local uh, California State University. Didn't branch out a whole lot because I was just kind of set in doing my thing and just playing music. Um, ended up graduating with my degree and in music, went back to teach my old high school, uh, started picking up some work, doing some really music things, started living off of it, pandemic hit, and then uh, picked up streaming over the past six months. And that that has been a lot of growing over these past six months in the pandemic for sure. So um, really all things considered, not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of interesting things from from way back in the day, almost all the interesting, at least for me right now, the things I consider to be super interesting have all happened in the past past six months. So there's that. Bro, I, I, I kind of like, I want to get into your music, man, because I've been, uh. whether you know this or not, I've been digging. Like, and I, I, know, I know a little bit more about you uh, oh. because I've been digging. I oh, I'm that type of person. All right, person. Like, all right, I, I, all right. I dig, I dig, and I I find out about my guests. Um, dude, so tell me about uh music growing up. Like, what what type of music were you into? What instruments uh first caught your eye? What was the first instrument that you played? Like, or or that you wanted to learn? Man, so I I grew up in a household of pretty pretty eclectic tastes. I'd say overall, I got a lot of Beatles early on. Got a lot of 80s rock early on, 70s and 80s. I grew up on Eagles, Bachman Turner Overdrive, uh, 32 Special, Bon Jovi, all of that. So that was that got my music taste started early. Um, ended up <laughs> in, in like fourth or fifth grade, ended up picking up rock band, like the very first rock band during <laughs> in the day. And that Man. got me into like Foo Fighters. That got me into um, oh God, so many different groups. That got me my first... Um, uh, look at CCR and just uh, uh, oh gosh, Boston Journey, all of those you know classic rock groups. So that was really a big core of my music growing up. At least what I listened to. My dad's a huge Jimmy Buffett fan, and to this day, I'll never live down the fact that the first song I ever learned how to play on guitar was freaking Margaritaville of all songs. <laughs> In Margaritaville. So, da, 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 da. Oh. Yeah, it's just oh, it's. I mean, it, don't get me wrong, it's a good song. It's a good song. It's a vibe, but. Um, yeah, so that was a lot of the music I listened to growing up. First instrument I played was back in fifth grade. Um, I was trying to find something to do. At that point, I didn't have a lot of friends. I was like, okay, what am I going to spend my time doing? Um, thought that the orchestra looked fun. I was trying to figure out what instrument I played. I ended up playing trombone for like two weeks. And then I like passed out in the middle of class because I just didn't have the lungs for it. I was like blowing so much air. I just like pass out in class. My teacher's like, all right, let's, let's get you something. Maybe a string instrument is good because then you don't have to use, you don't have to blow a lot of air. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. Um, went home and uh, we had a family friend back in the day who we just called Goose. His name was Gustavo. Um, uh, uh, he's from Rio de Janeiro and he was a bass player growing up. And he's like, hey, you know, 
play bass, you can play anything. You learn those first four strings, you can branch out to any other string instrument you want. I'm like, all right, I'm convinced. So I picked up upright bass in fifth grade, um, ended up playing in the orchestra. Uh, ended up going that year and played um, Beethoven's fifth, the melody on bass at the talent show. And, and it was like, oh, look at this kid playing bass. And I'm like, oh, people like that? Okay, let's get it, let's go. Uh, so just rocked on bass, ended up picking up guitar a couple of years later. Um, uh, ended up going to MPC and kind of, or MPC, the local community college and had access to pianos and started just messing around on pianos. Uh, never really took lessons. I'm, uh, I'm 100% self-taught on all my instruments with the exception of the community college classes to get my degree. Um, and it's just always, always kind of come along with what felt natural. So did that, kept picking up some more instruments. Uh, eventually got to sit down on drums in high school for a little bit of jazz, which was fun. And then ukulele on my own time just because it was just easy to move around and play. And then singing. I was singing since I was a little kid did all of the choir stuff through high school um, and ended up uh, picking up some time gigging around my area as a, as a solo musician in wine clubs or, or uh, tasting rooms and coffee shops and stuff like that. So yeah, really, you know, pretty, at least as far as I know in my area, in terms of playing music and getting out there, pretty standard experience, but um, uh, ended up after in college, after being a psych major for a year, ended up being like, I can't, I can't walk away from music long enough to like do my psych homework so i just was going to be a music major instead and just dove dove into it hard and got that degree and here we are dude that's that's so cool man like um i really vibe with the fact that you were something else in college like you majored in something else and then you switched because you know you were so passionate about this one thing that it, it just it just moved you to it like and i i feel that because i'm self-taught and in design, I never took a design class in college, even though I, I didn't finish my degree. Don't don't tell anybody that. Um, design and uh, music and a lot of the creative arts are things that you don't need a degree for, that you can just do off the strength just because you're passionate about it. And people will trust you because you have a portfolio that's backing what you're saying. So um, whether it be design, music, uh, other creative outlets, I think that's so cool that you grew up like that, that no one actually had to teach you. That speaks a lot, that you have enough resolve in you to actually go out and learn whatever you wanted to learn and be good at that. I, I think that's really, really cool. That's cool. Appreciate you saying so. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So was bass like the first instrument that you really gravitated towards or was there something else before bass that you wanted to play other than uh, the uh, trombone? I mean, at that point, it was so early for me. I hadn't really played any music at that point. I mean, we had like our little kids, little key, uh, keyboard, like toy keyboard that you couldn't play more than two notes on at the same time. And we're like, you know, my grandma showed me how to play chopsticks and a bunch of stuff like that. But I never really had like a really strong pull early on to play music. It really, it really did start out just as something to fill my time with something to get me away from the bullies and things like that. Like just fill my time to do something that was at, at least moderately engaging. At that point I knew I liked singing. I had done some of the, the music stuff, the, like the choral singing stuff, like little kids choral singing stuff at that point. Um, so I was like, all right, let's try to do a little bit more. Um, and I really did pick up bass just because of, of, of Goose. Goose really was just like, yeah, just try it. Play anything if you want in the future. I'm like, okay, I like music enough that I want to keep doing it. I like to fill my time with it. 
like I said, you know, when we're in class singing, I'm not getting bullied out on the playground. So uh, it's uh, it's a good distraction and a good way to get away from all that. And that alone was enough to make me want to get into it. Once I figured out that it was something that made sense to me, um, uh, I just I didn't want to I didn't want to walk away. It made more sense at the end of the day, especially once things started getting more difficult with classes. It made more sense than than English. It made more sense than math. It made more sense than science for me. Um, all of those things were interesting in their own way, but it just didn't click the same way that reading sheet music did. So I just kind of. Truly, I think I stuck with it early on almost more because I was a slacker and because I wanted to just do the stuff that came easy instead of like challenging myself. Yeah. Uh, but it but it went on long enough that I eventually did realize as a as a young adult that I was pretty pretty okay. I, I, having had no lessons, I I could play the music, I could jam with people, I could sit on on any kind of percussion and just hang out and 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 play, and it was good enough to uh, to eventually get to the point where I was like, oh, I kind of like. I kind of like what I do and maybe I should actually try a little bit harder at this. Um, that realization came in the last semester of my bachelor's degree. And I finally, for the first time in my whole college career, sat down and put some effort in my, in my final project, my final capstone project to get my degree and had a blast doing it. And since then, since that last semester of college, um, I've really, really taken to music, not as a fun thing, just a fun thing to do in a distraction, but like something to really put some time and effort into and um, have there in my life for myself which ended up making this pandemic a lot easier. So, Cool, cool. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, like, this this Goose person, this Gustavo yeah. person, like, is he a big influence in your life? Do you still speak to this person, or what's happening? So he ended up becoming my stepfather. Uh, <laughs> so you can say he's still a big person in my life, for sure. No, he, he when I say close to my family friend, I mean, he became really close to my family really early on. He was close close to my entire family my my both both my parents my grandmother uh who we live in town with here um he's yeah he's been a big big part of my life growing up no doubt about it he brought a different perspective into my life than a lot of other people he was basically kind of kind i don't take this the wrong way he was kind of like an uncle figure when i was a little little kid just because he was close to the family uh growing up um and so, yeah, I mean, he was there. We went and played. He showed us uh, uh, you know, a lot of sports, sports town from Brazil, um, which was super cool and just was kind of like fun energy in my life. And definitely someone who played music and, and was playing in rock bands down in Rio de Janeiro growing up brought a lot of that passion and, um, uh, and just interest in the arts up to me in a way that was easy to see. And as a, yeah, as a little kid, definitely was, was an inspiration to get started. So would you say that he kind of sparked that creativity in you? Like he was the one who saw it first and began to grow that over time? I think he was the one that that had an experience that resonated with me. And that experience paired with my personal experience of actually playing the instrument together, I could see myself going down that same path and learning how to play those instruments and have it be a big deal. Um, in my life and so it, i think that together both my personal if i got in there and i didn't enjoy playing the instrument i don't think i would have stuck with it but the fact that he was like hey it's what i did give this a try um almost like nonchalant really he's like this is what i did you, you can go and do anything with it like it's it's a good idea i'm like okay and the fact that it stuck um on top of that I just, it, it visualized i think even if i didn't 
even if I didn't have the words to say that as a little kid, it visualized that path enough for me in my head that I could just stick with it. That's cool. That's that's very cool. It's always cool to have that one person that you can look back at and you were like, dude, this guy influenced me so much to being the person that I am today. Um, I often have that, like, I, my dad, um, growing up, didn't want to be like my dad at all. Uh, but as I live my life, I find out that I'm more like my dad than I've ever been, which is it's weird because now I'm going to be a dad here in a month. Um, but seeing that it's, it's kind of like deja vu or deja vu all over again, because I'm I'm like, yo, I never, never wanted to be like my dad at all. But, uh, yeah, dude, that's, that's very, very intriguing to me. Um, you mentioned that you really didn't take music super seriously until that last semester of college. Explain to me like what went through your head and why you made that decision from the switch from uh, psychology to music. So, yeah, I mean, hitting the instrument in fifth grade, um, going through elementary, middle school back in the day, it really, I really do think that when it came to the time to make that decision to switch to music, a good chunk of it really was because I didn't have, at that time in my life, and honestly still is something that I, I struggle with and I'm getting past um, was just this kind of tendency to want to lean towards whatever is less resistant in my life. I didn't have to, you know, I was, I was the kid that was reading at the seventh grade level when he was in fifth grade. Oh, look how special he is. Look how smart he is. He didn't, you know, we can push him forward and push him through and he doesn't have to really try um, now I had a family that was really supportive. I had a family that helped me a whole lot. Um, I had a family that, uh, probably babied me a little bit as a kid, as families can, can do sometimes. Um, uh, and so I didn't really learn early on how to push through those, those, those challenges and those trials. So when I started being presented with difficult educational content and, and this, you know, this path going down. I really like psychology. I feel like I can talk to people and relate to people. I had teachers like, hey, you're, you know, you definitely have the the mind to work out problems and you could do this. This is something you could do. And I and I my teachers say, I really believe that you could do psychology someday, at least my first year of college. Um, and then I'm like, okay, great. What's the process to become a psychologist or a therapist? And like, oh yeah, you have to spend you know, 10,000 hours as a, an underpaid adjunct in another therapist's office, basically being there, doing the clerical and then like learning sometimes. And then you have to go to school and it's all expensive. I'm like, that sounds like so much. I don't want to take all that time. I don't want to put all that effort in. Sure, the payoff in the long run will be, you know, cash money. But at the end of the day, like, am I going to put that much effort in? Nah, I'm going to go do music instead. And that's all it started off. It really, really truthfully was because I was an absolute underachiever. I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to take a gap year after high school. I was so burned out. I wanted to get away from education. I wanted to to take the time to figure out what I wanted to do and then go make the choice to go to college. My parents, God bless them, great people. I, you know, I put to goose to, to like help me choose the instrument early on, choosing the bass early on that got me started on that path. But the reason I stuck with music in the long run really was because my parents supported it. And I got to make sure that I say it very clearly. I love my parents and they a hundred percent are the reason that I stuck with music and got to the point with music that I'm at, which is something that I do love. So mom and dad, thank you so much. Um, I love you guys. 
getting into college, didn't want to stick with it, wanted to get out of there. And got through psychology, made the switch to music because I was an underachiever. Finished up my associate's degree, got to the local California State University, got into the music, still was underachieving, was hanging out, was trying to find the party scene and just like, you know, live the college life as much as I could, even though I was still in my hometown. Um, and eventually, after, after everything, my second to last semester, I got a project, which was just a composition project. And it was like, I, you know, it was like, write a, write a, write a one minute violin trio piece or something. I was like, oh, seems kind of boring. Professor, can I, can I write a, a, a four voice choral piece with piano? And he's like, sure, if you want to. And I did that project and had so much fun with it. I was like, oh, wait is this what it feels like to like engage with content and engage with something that I'm actually interested in? And it was a great, and I love the project. I love sitting down and did it, busted it out. It's still one of the pieces of music I'm most proud of to this day. Um, technically it's part of a longer project I want to work on that I have just left sitting for a long time because I still have those underachieving tendencies. Um, and got to my last semester and was talking to my advisor uh, that was leading all of the kids doing their final capstone kids, all the college students doing their final capstone projects. And he ended up helping me find uh, a topic and a creative project that was interesting enough to me that I was, for the first time in my whole life, in the library for the last two weeks of school, up there until 2 a.m. every night working on it, writing the essay, got my 20-something pages out, um, wrote my compositions, mocked it up with a bunch of digital instruments, and uh, did the whole thing. At the end of it, you know, I got my A. I was proud of that A for the first time in my life because I actually had to put effort into it to get there. Um, I was proud of the content that came out of it. And I was like, I, I want to do this. I, I want to make music as, as my life. And um, from that point on, I started making fewer excuses for myself, started looking for the opportunities a little bit better, uh, a little more intentionally. And I found some ended up getting to the point where right before the pandemic, I was living off of music, teaching it in high school, doing high school musical theater direction for the public schools, community musical theater direction, um, and then managing a venue, like hiring artists to come and play in this venue, managing the space, built them their stage with my family, and had this whole thing going, was finally getting to the point where I could live off of it and was starting to make the moves to, to get on my own, living off of music truly for the first time in my life. Uh, and then the pandemic hit and everything fell away. So all of that is now brought me to a point where so many of those old excuses that I had for myself with music, I'm no longer making for myself to still aim for those goals of being self-sustaining and to be um, completely self-supported and has led me to where I am with a full-time job that's a managerial position. And, and I'm starting to move in that path again. And even though... It's not the life that I imagined for myself back in the day, having lost a lot of that stuff that I eventually worked for has helped me to realize that all of that stuff is still there. It may not look the same, but it completely is still there. And now I can take that lesson that I learned about letting go of the things you can't control. And really when it comes down to it, putting, making the decision to put effort into what matters I can then have all of that stuff for myself in a way that means so much more than it ever did. Um, and I am absolutely better for it. Yeah. Dude, that's, that's that. it. 
you went uh, philosophical on me for a little bit, man. And I, I, I absolutely <laughs> love that. Um, uh, two things I kind of want to dig into. Um, you were talking about how your teachers, I think in high school, maybe maybe early college, how they kind of influenced you to do psychology was was so I'm guessing from what you were saying is that psychology wasn't something that you originally wanted to do for uh, a career correct it was it was something that was super interesting to me and I was told that I I mean like my tests and 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 my conversation with my professors in early college yeah um were like hey you've got you've got a mind for this you've got a way to talk to people that could fit into this as as a career if you wanted to pursue it okay Okay. Yeah, I I've I find it interesting. Um also I I do want to talk to you about um like where did you where did this like underachiever come from? Because the Sev I know right now is not that Sev in my opinion. Um then again, I don't see Sev all the time. Yeah. So yeah. I, where does that part of you come from? Or that, how how did it develop? That part of me Okay, so, I mean, here's here's the balance, right? No matter what point you are in your life, you're responsible for the decisions you make and for the actions you take. But when you're growing up as a kid, um, you know, and you've got guidance, you've got people that are teaching you how to be a human being in, in, this, in this world that we're living in, um, you know, it's important to learn those lessons. And I think one of the le- lessons I didn't get because in back in the day when I was just a kid, um, I was doing well enough in school and I was doing well enough um in especially stem stuff early on i mean like base i mean like arithmetic and stuff like early early stem science earth science and stuff like that it made enough sense that i didn't have to try and um you know there's maybe a conversation we had about how how public school systems are with with challenging uh kids that are engaged in, in the in the education uh, or the educational opportunities around them or maybe there's a conversation about how people are raised and, and, you know, the kind of challenges that are presented and the kind of lessons that are taught just while growing up. But for we can me, sit here and talk about that for hours. Hours, and I know, hours I know. Ahead. It's just, yeah, there's, there, I, there's so much to be talked about in, those, in both of those conversations. Um, but realistically, I, I don't think I learned, and maybe it was because I wasn't taught, or maybe it's just because I really didn't feel like I needed to learn the lesson because I thought, Back in the back of my mind, I thought I was the shit as a kid. And I didn't need to try. <laughs> was that I didn't learn that lesson to push myself through adversity early on. I didn't grab onto that. And so when I started meeting that adversity, I did the minimum. And by, you know, when I was in my freshman year of high school, I was, you know, I got my my A's and a B. And I was like, oh, I got a B? Man, this is tough. I don't really like it. Got my sophomore year, started getting a couple more B's. And I'm like, yeah, this is getting tougher. I really don't like this. Ended up, you know, graduating. I never, never failed a class uh, because I did the minimum required to actually pass. But um, there, I definitely hit that mentality towards the end. But by the time I got to the end of my senior year of high school, I was at least frequently doing doing the minimum to to get by. Um, and you know, quickly in the back of my mind, I didn't ever really say it out loud. But in the back of my mind, by the time I got to college, I was like, I'm supposed to just get degrees. I can just like buy about. <laughs> spend all the time that I want doing things, everything to the last minute. I know I've got the skill or the just whatever I need to like sit down and bust out that essay the night before and still get a passing grade on it. So like, why would I change my pattern and 
play less games and play less music when I could just, you know, do that instead. And it worked until until I found like how good it feels to work on something, put your heart and soul into it, and then see the product that comes out of it. So that really, it was it really at the core of it. It was just because I never, for whatever reason, like osmosis in that lesson of uh, the value of face and diversity. I got you. So it sounds to me like you were you were naturally gifted. Uh, well, you had natural knowledge um, when you were younger, and um, you were never put under any strenuous uh, activity like like uh, challenging yourself. And then once you get to the challenging part, you don't know how to react because you were never pushed like that. Right, because failing was failing. And if I was scared that I wasn't going to succeed, then I would just aim lower and meet a lower bar instead of pushing myself to meet that higher bar and learning the lesson from failure. One way or another, I wasn't going to fail. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, it sounds that sounds like to me like that no child left behind was uh, very much ringing true <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, uh, back in the day. I don't know if that's a back in the day thing. So uh, no, no. But, okay, back in back in our day, we're in we're our, about the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. we're about the same age. I you, you may be a little bit older than I am. Um, how old are you? If you don't mind me asking. Twenty six. Yeah, you're a little bit older than I am. I'm. I'll turn twenty six next year. Um, I just had a brain fart. Sheesh. Okay, never mind. Going forward, <laughs> um, dude. So. You played for a crowd of 5,000 in the sixth grade with a song called No Homework, dude. Oh, Tell wait, me about you, that. Oh, my God. Where did you, you find you, that? You told me. Did I t- oh, you I told you in the... Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I, I forgot. I forgot what you had yeah, for those questions. Did I really... God, did I really include <laughs> that in that whole thing? Yes, you did. Oh, my God. Why did I do that? Oh, okay. So, <laughs> sixth grade... You know, like I said, I got, mu- I got music in my head early on. We had a project in our English class, which was to um, uh, write... He was to take a song and try to write a sequel to a song or something like that. Like, they were, like, lessons in some harmony and some rhythm. It was an English class, but it was, like, kind of coming at it from, uh, from a poetry anal- analytics side of things. Uh, and so, like, okay, so we're not going to go into poetry. You know, our teacher wasn't, like, reading us Walt Broad ralph waldo emerson or something in sixth grade was like find a song that you like and and write a sequel to it and so we had our little our little spring forward song to do the, for the time change back in in public elementary and middle school and so i wrote a sequel to that and i was like oh this is kind of fun so i ended up wasting time in class because at that point i was starting really that at that point i was like really grasping onto the you know underachiever mentality and so i would not focus in class instead i would sit there i just started writing a song and um wrote just wrote these lyrics for a song called no homework um and uh teacher (laughs) classic story teacher ended up being like hey what are you doing why aren't you working on your homework in class i'm like well i'm writing a song and they looked at he's like oh this is pretty cool you should bring it to your you know the teacher you had last year in fifth grade um because he was a musician i was like oh okay so i ended up going to him and he ended up sitting down with me and like writing the chords out i had the melody and i had the lyrics um and he ended up writing the the chords out for me and then got some of the other teachers there at the school uh, that also played instruments. And they kind of, we played it once in the class, like, hey, do you want to do this for the court or the choir performance? 
solo performance for the for the um, uh, big choir mashup taking place at one of the local high schools. And at that point, as an elementary school kid, I was like, "We're singing at a high school. We're gonna go with the big kids. What? Wait, that's scary." And, but I was like, "Freak out!" And it's like, "It'll be fun." And I'm like, "All right, all right. What are the names? Mr. Everett and Mr. Redoni." Um, and so we get there, and it's time when I walk up, and they have themselves one on guitar electric guitar and one on bass and they get a kid from the high school who plays drums to sit down there and there's like a three-piece rock band and it was a whole performance and it was a mashup performance of all the kids that were performing from the elementary school plus all of the from multiple elementary schools and middle schools and multiple high schools in the area so it was like in a full-size gymnasium 5,000 theater huge room um and they go into it, and I sing this song. I end up getting so into them, like sitting there and like dancing, clapping my hands. And I turn back to my friends, oh, not my friends. I didn't have any friends. The people that were also in the, they're singing, like, okay, everybody. And they all look at me like, what is this idiot doing? God, what a <laughs> didn't like that. People, people came at me with that one for a little while. And did, but yeah, there was like, there was almost 5,000 people in that room. And it was all, you know, kids and then the kids' parents. And it popped off, and I walked out. And I was this little kid, and I had all these adults coming over and shaking my hand, like that was really cool. And I, it felt so rad at the time. And I look back, and I'm like, I'm literally never going to play for a crowd that big ever again. Our <laughs> <laughs> time peaked in, in sixth grade. So um, yeah, that's that's that. That's that story. Dude, so what was going through your head when like you found out that you were gonna uh, play in front of this many people? Like, were so, you nervous at all? Like, so, yeah. I didn't realize it was that many people until I got there. I thought we were just going to a choir performance. I didn't realize it was this, like, multi-school mashup performance of lots of different groups. Um, I, didn't, I didn't ever make that connection. Because at that point, we had done some choir concerts, and it was always in the, the elementary school's multi-purpose room with a little stage. And, you know, it was, like, the kids at the school that wanted to be there. You know, most of them didn't want to be there. Their parents were there to either be pta members or whatever and it was a pretty small oh, crowd PTA. Them, you know, oh yeah way back in the day remember that um and it was you know fairly you know it was just like you know maybe two or three hundred people in the in the multi-purpose room and it didn't make the connection until we got there and walked into to the high school's um basketball court gymnasium and had all of the i mean uh, huge enough seats where the seats were colored to spell out the name of the school's sports teams on the side i mean it was this huge and on both sides gymnasium never been in a room that big before at that point as a little kid um and so i got there and i was like I will, i'll be honest i was like sitting there like shitting my pants i was like <laughs> what uh what's going on i can't be here am i gonna sing it i can't and then ended up going up there super nervous i think we had to restart the song once if i remember correctly because i just couldn't get the first words out and eventually got into it and like felt what it was like to perform and everything fell away all, all the kids didn't matter the bullies didn't matter it was my first time experiencing what it felt like to 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 lose the inhibitions and perform and um honestly it's, it's probably it was probably a, uh, one of the first lessons i learned that ended up getting me to where i'm at now with streaming and stuff just letting loose and having fun um get, getting all that performance and getting literally a decade of performance experience definitely got me ready to stream uh, to, to tie that back into our our, our our connection how we know each other here it's cool <laughs> i love it man i love it i love stories like that when uh how um people came to be who they are um so like going forward a little bit what was it like 
um, being a music teacher at the high school that you went to? Like, was, was oh, that surreal man. when you when you walked in there? Like, did you did you see any uh, teachers that were once your teacher and now, hey, like, we're on the same playing field. Like, you can't do anything now. Like, so oh, what, what is all that like? God, talk about Oz from the other side of the curtain. I mean, it was, oh, it was just whack, man. It was just weird. And I, I've got nothing bad to say about it, honestly. So many of the people who I knew there were, looked at me as a kid still, and I know that they did. Uh, and I was. I mean, I was a 20, oh, God, when did I start teaching there? I was a 23-year-old stepping into this private school, you know, 200-person student body, really, really tiny tight-knit bubble of a community um they all knew me as a fairly underachieving kid what what, what did my grades always say a lot of potential but isn't investing himself or something like all my all my grades said that all the time um so to walk in there as a music teacher um as a part-time music teacher definitely didn't have the same i just wasn't you know like you said it was the same playing field by by virtue of being a faculty member but it was not same playing field by virtue of of what my experience at that school already was. And honestly, at that point, what my educational experience, I was walking there with a bachelor's degree, some performance and, and, and musical direction experience, walking into a faculty of, see, out of the 20, 25 or so teachers that were there, 22 of them had master's degrees or higher. I think like 10 of, mm, six or seven of them had PhDs. Like these were smart people teaching complex subjects and a higher educate, you know, a higher level, higher education facility. Like it was, it was daunting. Um, so to go back in there and have just like have access to rooms that I didn't have access to as a kid, um, and to sit down at the at the Christmas party with some of the teachers and like share a, a glass of champagne with them was surreal for sure. But I never quite felt um, quite as connected as I hoped. On the flip side of that. When I got there, the, the the music department, the department I was working for, um, had completely turned over. So that year that I started, it was also a brand new department chair and core teacher um, and a brand new jazz teacher. So the three of us ran the department and all, every single one of us was brand new to the school. So we as a department, I felt, I felt like a microcosm of this department. Like, like my, my experience was this department's experience. The new department chair was very experienced, had taught private school, um, was... Um, very ingenious musical theater composer. Um, he debuted his first musical down in Austin uh, during my first year. I mean, he was he, he was doing things. He was doing a lot of great things, brought a lot of fresh blood into the into the department, ended up growing the department a ton, um, which was phenomenal to see. But uh, even then, being being the kid on the block, I it never quite never quite got to that level of connection with anybody um, on that, on that campus, even my own, even my own uh, coworkers there in that department. I got you. Um, was there any type of um, like altercations that happened? Not, not anything like violent, but um, anything that uh, kind of rubbed you the wrong way with, with another teacher that they didn't really respect you like they, like they should have, or looked at you like a, like a kid more than that they should have, like anything like that happened there? Hmm. Never forthright. It was never any kind of forthright. Look, I know that you're teaching here, but you're still just a kid. Like talk a little less, like nothing like that ever happened. Right. It was never, never quite that forthright. Um, honestly, most of the, most of the things that I noticed were just like kind of 
stand I, what my interpretation is of like standard lack of consideration in like an office space right like i had my second year i actually had a little a tiny little office space that i was sharing with the jazz teacher we had a desk in there we had a chair we could sit down i got my you know uh my computer charger set up in there i got my little whiteboard and clock so i could keep track um and it was not uncommon to walk in there to see that the desk had been taken out of the room to go be used for activities in the room or for for uh, uh, uh staff meetings in the room and then wasn't put back you know just like small small things small moments of lack lacking of consideration um i think the school as a whole definitely did not look back on uh the music department as a whole with a whole lot of respect either which was in and of itself a problem which my the new department chair there made a big difference in very vocal very loud arts advocate and made a big difference for that department on campus which was fantastic um but being both the kid on the block in a department that didn't receive a whole lot of credence across the board definitely felt uh, pretty, I don't, I don't know if put upon is the right way to put it, but uh, definitely very undervalued as a whole. Um, and again, never forthright, just kind of interpretation. Whether that was all in my head or not, I, I to this day, I'll probably never truly know, but that's how it felt. I feel that, man. That kind of sucks like that, knowing that, hey, I busted my butt to get here. I actually kind of really busted my butt, even though... Um, like I, I'm your colleague and your coworker, I just feel a little bit undervalued. So I, I definitely understand that. Um, so moving, uh, kind of, I, I wouldn't say like forward, uh, but kind of sidestepping around. Dude, what, what was it like being a local musician where you're at? Like, what's the, what's the vibe? Like, what's the mindset? How do you go about being one of those people? Tell me about that. So I was one of those people for a long, long, long time. I played music through college. Um, I played in the, the college groups my at the CSU MB, which is CSU Monterey Bay, which is what my um, uh, uh, local CSU is called, was there, played in a jazz ensemble, which ended up getting a whole lot of attention on campus because we were so good. Um, and I'm, I'm going to say that straight up. We were balling. We were a jam. One of the people that's in my chat all the time, Twisty Honker, shout out to Twisty, best friend from college. Oh, my God. One of the coolest lead trumpet players I've ever met in my life. Super homie um brother from another mother to this day hands down one of the coolest guys I ever met we were in that group together called sharp nine it was this latin jazz ensemble and we just vibed all the time we were great performers we ended up convincing a school a school whose arts department chair had never been to an arts department performance convinced them to give us a ten thousand dollar grant to get new gear for this group because we were so good and they gave it to us so we were we were very good, completely, without a doubt, the best group I've ever played with in my life. And I hope it's not true, but definitely very well could be the best group I'll ever play with in my life. Miss, that, miss those guys, something awful. But after that, I graduated from college. You know, people moved away, got jobs. You know, the group couldn't stay together forever. Um, and I had to start figuring out my own thing. And so I went and did, you know, some open mics here and there, started to get to know a little bit of the crowd in the area, but it wasn't really until last year that I started to make an effort to go play music. I put a rep, a rep of cover songs together, started looking for chances to play, ended up through that, just meeting other, other musicians in the area and started to get into that scene and start learning what that scene was about, which um, is a really interesting scene. My town is called Monterey. It's home of the Monterey Jazz Festival, which is this legendary truly world-renowned jazz festival um 
if you play jazz in the world and the jazz festival is someplace that you you go to at some point um it really is like top tier big deal and so the music scene in this area is really really dominated by by jazz musicians and by jazz music which is cool i love jazz i played latin jazz with that group for two two and a half three and a half years um but actually getting into the scene in the area is really difficult getting into the jazz scene it's a lot of people that have been in this area for a very long time jazz musician families that have like owned the scene for a really long time um and truthfully it's really hard gate kept it's really hard to get into that scene as a jazz musician you have to be really really good or you have to know somebody to get into that scene otherwise just finding the chance to play jazz music is really difficult and most venues in this area only do jazz so to do anything but that it's hard to find space in the past year before the pandemic more places were starting to get more young musicians on deck more contemporary music a lot more solo acoustic stuff which is something that, that i did um and the feel because of that because the scene was so dominated by jazz the scene here for those younger musicians definitely felt like a really like true underground scene people were doing some some crazy stuff people were doing a lot of like um uh like using oh god what's an example there's one guy that uses a drill with like a piece of paper tied into the drill and like plays bass with it to get like bass drones going with the drill and like increases the the rpms of the drill to get different sounds and stuff it's I mean, people do some weird stuff here. Oh, it's some (laughs) weird stuff, dude. But then there's also people that just are playing acoustic and writing their own original music. And once I um, started to meet the other, like, solo acoustic musician areas, uh, a group, I'm sorry, solo acoustic musicians in the area, um, I finally started to get to play with them a little bit, ended up reconnecting with one of them, who ended up being a friend of mine that I'd known back in elementary school. Um, And we ended up uh, uh, playing a couple of gigs together, me on upright bass and him on guitar, harmonizing and getting into it and um most of the shows we did were like house shows or like uh, uh really small um outdoor patio shows and stuff so i kind of rambled there but to get back to your original question the, the scene what it really feels like is a really underground scene um it doesn't feel like this area despite it being such a heavy art centric area for certain kinds of arts uh really represented all of the musicians in the area really well um but as as I was playing over the, about the, the year and a half that I was gigging really regularly, um, saw saw more people giving more attention to those musicians. So once we get out of this pandemic, um, I'm really excited to see how that scene changes because I feel like all these people who are sitting here writing music for, uh, during the pandemic and getting ready to come back out in the scene once people start taking musicians back, um, I'm keeping fingers crossed, knocking on wood, that we'll see that scene blow up in this area in a way um where we'll we'll all be welcomed welcome back to with open arms get those musicians back out into the streets or out into the, to the restaurants and stuff dude that's cool so uh you, you mentioned that you played some house shows what's it like playing in a house rather than like uh a, a small venue or, or something else like is it is a different vibe it's more homies like you're just like hey dude let's just let's just all vibe together like together you know kumbaya type vibes <laughs> i mean Yes, and I definitely played a, a couple shows, you know, like song circles and stuff like that. People would just like pass a single guitar around and just play songs. And like we had a couple of shows like that, but we also had a couple of, of groups in the area who were really good, a couple of musicians in the area who were, I mean, really playing the game, really, truly playing the game, doing the sales, doing the merch, doing the advertising, doing the promotion, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so we had a couple of house shows that really kind of just did feel like small venue shows out at a house 
or on, a, on an outdoor patio at a house. And they like organized it. They had the acts. They had the in between background music and all that kind of stuff. It it felt like the musicians that were really there and really trying and were really there for the sake of the performance made an effort to make it feel like the musicians are being respected, and they were. And so um, I'd actually probably say the house shows, a couple of those house shows, were my favorite gigs I ever played, um, or got, even just got to attend because. They were run by musicians. It felt homey. It felt like a lot of friends that were hanging out together. Um, but we were hanging out together, giving each other the space to do our art. And there was a lot of respect. There was a lot of great vibes um, there to provide that atmosphere. And it was cool. It was those those gigs were really really cool. Dude, that sounds cool, man. Like, of course, like I, I've been to a concert and I've been to a few smaller concerts where it's just what, a couple hundred people, maybe like 50 people. Um, so the bigger shows you've played versus the smaller shows you've played, like what, what's the, what's the difference between those? I know one of them is you know, obviously the people, but uh, what's, what's the, the, the difference between those? The difference between large, larger gigs and smaller gigs. Uh, for you, like how how they differed. Oh man, um, the bigger shows that I played were almost always with groups of people that I knew. I didn't play a whole lot of shows that were big shows as a solo musician, and so the big shows were really almost always like hanging out on stage with with my friends and my my peers. Especially the one, I mean, all those, it just so happened the shows that I played almost always were with friends or peers that I really respected. Um, and ended up really just kind of feeling like hanging out on stage, playing music together with each other, and then having a crowd to, to, to feed off uh, on the energy and to like elevate us on stage. So the big shows were definitely, were definitely my favorites just because it got to enjoy it with a lot of people that I, I really did love and do love to this day. Um, the smaller shows were almost always just me and my guitar hanging out. Um, sometimes I'd sit on my little my little cajon percussion box and like hit it with my ankle to like keep a downbeat going. And they were almost always intimate, and they were almost always like small room shows. You know, as few as one or two people in there, as many as ten or twelve. Um, and those shows were different isolated for sure i definitely enjoy playing with people more than myself um as much as i'm a stickler for having having things sound a certain way i definitely am pretty i try to be pretty intentional with the music that i make and with the arrangements that i create um but then at the you know which is cool when i'm sitting here with my guitar and just hanging out and and writing that music for myself when i'm sitting out in a space and i'm there to share music with people um I, I really do ha enjoy having people there to share it with who who understand where I'm coming from. And there were shows that I had an audience member who I, sometimes that I didn't know, it was very obvious they got what I was trying to do. They were connecting to the music. They were connecting to the choices. And those gigs were fantastic, if, if only for the reason of in between each song, getting to talk to that person about the music, about the choices as an artist to an artist. Um, but sitting there playing for a crowd that was just there to drink their wine and eat their food and not really pay attention, I didn't like it. I didn't like it very much at all. So that's the big difference. Bigger shows or shows that had a, a person that was engaged always were just top tier regardless of the size. 
Awesome. Awesome. Um, another sidestep, dude. Managed a live performance venue, dude. Yep, yep. Tell me about that whole experience because I, I really want to oh, know. Man, that was... That was getting that job, landing that job early on was the thing that convinced me that I could do music professionally and do music management and, and venue management professionally for my life. So much fun. It was at this little spot in a town over from mine, about half an hour away, called Salinas. Um, and the shop was called The Bearded Bean. We, it was this, this fun little coffee shop that had a focus on they had a, on the on the front of the store they had three things it was coffee beer music and i'm like check 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 yeah hit me with that <laughs> i ended up getting to perform there early on with a group uh, a guy named john curry who is um an la musician who's up here had a connection to one of the local churches uh made a connection there playing with a friend of a friend and ended up getting connected there um played a a, a, a church gig there for him a couple times and he's like, hey, I need a bass for this um, for this performance. I'm releasing a new album. Would you come and play bass for me? I'm like, yeah, sure. So got there, met the owner, ended up connecting with the owner. Um, and over time, just got to know them more and more. Um, at that point, they'd been open for just under a year. They had their coffee scene going strong, and they made some dank coffee. Oh, man, I got, I got caffeine buzz there a couple times because they made some good, strong coffee. Um, and then as I was there, they finally got their beer officially. They got their their um, uh, uh, right to sell or their license to sell alcohol set up. So they got their taps going. Um, in, a, like, in the like three months I was working there, they like doubled the number of taps that they had because it was so successful. They were just selling glass after glass. Time. Super chill space, really warm, welcoming space. Um, and then this past January of 2020 is when I finally got, or just, just the end of December, right after Christmas going into January is when I started bringing the musicians to play there got official um they're like hey we want a stage i'm like okay got you built the stage with like i said with my family i did all the major design got some help finishing it and trimming it and laying down carpet and stuff on it got the space in there and just start, really just started bringing musicians in there got them their tech got them their lights um i got them the sound that they needed uh the sound tech and just started running it and it was so I look back on it and it's it's one of the biggest things I miss because kind of for the same reason that we talked about with performance, where having the people to connect with as artists and musicians were the thing that I enjoyed the most about being a performer. Getting to be there, bring a musician in and treat them the way that musicians and artists deserve to be treated was one of the most ethically and soulfully fulfilling things I've ever done. Because I got to I got to bring them in and welcome them in. I did everything I could to make them feel wanted there and welcome there, help them, help them with their gear, got them set up, gave them the best sound I could get them at that time. Um and was there and listened to the music and 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 just did everything I could to treat them the way that I would want to be treated as a musician in a space. Um and they always left saying this was one of the best gigs I've ever played. Thank you so much. For your hospitality and for for making us feel so wanted here um i want to come back really soon i ended up getting a couple of groups that wanted to come back all the time I had a couple of great reggae groups up from from the local uh, uh, uh town called santa cruz just north of us that was known for their reggae 
acoustic groups up from LA. I mean, we were getting people touring through and like stopping by already early on. It was a slow start as any venue would be, but I got to meet so many incredible musicians um, and to connect with them and end up jamming with a couple of them afterwards, um, sharing a beer with them and just like getting to know their stories and getting to know their art, what their take on music was, uh, get to know how they got started, just like you're asking me today. And I, I truly do look back on those times as some of the best times as a musician of my life. And it was probably when the, not to keep going back to it, when the pandemic hit and all of those opportunities fell to the wayside, um, it was probably the biggest, the biggest reason that I was having trouble letting go and moving on to where I'm at now with, with retail um, because I was convinced, I was convinced I could do it. And I was convinced I could make that my life. Uh, and then having to, having to let that go, given the state of the world and find other ways to support myself. Um, and find other ways to be happy supporting myself without that that kind of connection in my life was a big, big challenge. But it was great. It, it, it truly was, those like three months that I was doing it, four months I was doing it, was definitely one of the best times as a musician of my life. Awesome. Awesome. So um, was there any, uh, like, what was the hardest part about doing that? About booking musicians, being the manager there, like, like how what really just what was the, the the hardest part the hardest part was just not bringing the same great musicians back over and over and over again i just wanted to be like dude you guys are so good people vibe with you people want to be here to see you um can i just like have you back in here once a month all the time and just have to have a, you know eight or ten musicians that I rotate through every month and obviously management was like we want new new people in here as much as possible we don't want to just repeat the same people like i know what they're so good and like i know i know but let's get some new people I'm like okay so um, really just teaching myself how to go and find new musicians. I, you know, I started off just by like having, I had a ton of contacts at that point. So I was bringing them to play and people loved them because they're great local musicians. Um, but teaching myself how to go and look at other businesses, listings in the area and the distant area going and just like going to Spotify and typing in the names of local larger cities and getting musicians from those areas in, um, teaching myself how to go find new music which then for myself, of course, just like finding new music all the time was super cool. Um, learning how to do that and then learning how to make the connection off the bat and how to realistically sell the venue as a place that people want to come play at. Like having learning how to do that kind of selling, that really hardcore business side of it was probably the most difficult thing because to me, art was so much more than business. Art and music is is 100% a, a, a soul-based thing. It's a... It's like an intrinsic part of our life. I mean, I, 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 I have fully committed to that mindset over the past year because it has made such a difference in my life. Um, so then to separate that out and come at the business side of it and keep my head on my shoulders and sell the business, sell the venue and sell myself as a manager um, and find the balance between the, the music that hits me in the soul and the business that I need to do to make it succeed uh, was pretty difficult. Yeah, I would I would believe so. So you basically learned some social media management <laughs> along the way. Yeah, for sure. Learned some of that along the way. Um what what was the hardest part ab about that? I know you were talking about uh just the business side, but social media media managing is its own type of beast. Um did you ever have any artists that like were 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 just like, "Hey, I I don't want to play at this venue." Mm Fortunately, no. I never have to run into that. I 
made the connections. I uh, said to artists, hey, I'm stoked to have had you here tonight. This was uh, one of the best performances I've ever seen here, which was true every time because we happened to be in an area with a lot of great musicians and I was fortunate enough to to come across a lot of great musicians who were engaged and wanted to be there. And then they told their friends and those friends passed on like, hey, we heard about this space. I'd love to play here sometime. Um, and fairly early on, and I, what I learned after the fact was that, you know, it can be difficult to get that um, that word of mouth process going, getting people wanting to play there. But really early on, whether it was my fantastic managing or whether it just was the fact that there was not a whole lot of places for people to play, it, the word got out early and I could and I started getting in at least two or three new uh, new acts per month um, by the second month. And it was a great start. The word of mouth had started to spread and uh, I never had to deal with um, with rejections because we always had people reaching out wanting to play. It was it was feeling like it was going in a really good direction really quick. Good. Do you ever like keep in touch with that coffee shop? So I did for a little while. Um, obviously, especially in my area in California, we're under another shelter in place order right now. Um, music has been super hard shut down on top of that. Um, the street, it was Main Street in Salinas, uh, that business is on over there. Um, as soon as the pandemic hit, the city ended up starting a huge um, reconstruction project on Main Street. They basically ripped up all of all of the decorative trees out, ripped the street apart, completely broke everything out, fenced, you know, you, there was only one way to actually get into the shop, um, going around a whole a whole big block through a fenced off sidewalk area to get into the front of the shop. Um, and all of the businesses suffered and they just had no space, no room to try to make it happen. Um, and they still, obviously we can't do groups. They, you know, there's no indoor eating or dining where we're at right now. And so there's, I mean, realistically, there was like nothing to to talk about. I was there, um, kind of like private contracted, working there to do the music. There was no music that could go there, so there was not a whole lot of conversation to be had. Um, and even once musicians can start getting back into like a, like officially, people can have groups, you know, in their restaurants, eating and drinking again without masks on, and they can start getting musicians back into the space. A lot of businesses are going to have to do a lot of like rebuilding of finances just to get caught back up so they can afford to have musicians back. Um, so I'm fingers crossed once once it actually is fiscally feasible to bring musicians back in there, I'll get to get back into conversation with them and start doing that again. But um, it's probably still a ways out, unfortunately. Unfortunately, unfortunately, man, COVID has messed up a whole bunch of things. Man, I had a good job as a designer um, and then lost it. So I I feel you I feel you on that, um. Dude, so let's talk about let's talk about your favorite game, dude. Legend of Zelda. Legend of Zelda, dude. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, I don't. Okay. I've never really got into Legend of Zelda. the The first Legend of Zelda that I that I played played quotation marks, uh, was Breath of the Wild on the Switch. So. All of the backlog, the history of Zelda, I know nothing about. Um, how'd you how'd you first come into playing Zelda? And why is it your favorite game? So Zelda was the first game I ever played. When I like way back in the day, the first console I ever had was a Game Boy Advance. Um, and the first game I ever bought was Oracle of Ages for the Game Boy Color. It was a Game Boy Color cartridge. 
and I just it just got me hooked right away. I, I that that was like my my in um what's the word my ingress into into playing games was was that Legend of Zelda game. It stuck with me. Music stuck with me. The gameplay stuck with me. Even on like little little cartridge. And so the day that I walked in and had my GameCube at that point, me and my family had a GameCube at that point. Walked in and saw Legend of Zelda collector's edition disc. I was like, "What is this?" And it was Majora's Mask. It was Ocarina of Time. It was Zelda's one and two, and it was a preview of Wind Waker all loaded up onto one GameCube disc. Popped that in, played through Ocarina of Time, and was just. So it was so difficult. I was a, I was a pretty small kid at that point, so I must have I couldn't have been older than ten, um, and so those games were hard for me. But it just it just always stuck with me. The music always stuck with me, and the the ongoing fight against Ganon stuck with me. Eventually, I got older and could learn a little bit more about the lore of the universe, how it's it's the same soul, the soul of the hero of time, the soul of the Princess Hylia getting reincarnated against this this great evil Ganon over so many thousands of thousands of thousands of years um and every time every time i learned something more about it 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 stuck with me and it got me started on game music it got me started on um uh video game world building it got me super into like uh reading into the lore of games which is why i love destiny so much um and halo just because the depth of those universes are, are so grand um it just like defined what it is about video games that I love and hit everything that over time I learned I loved about games and it hit it just, every game has hit every part of it every time and it's yeah it's I, I truly believe that almost every Zelda game with a couple of exceptions are masterpieces so yeah it's it just always stuck with me dude so why haven't you finished the uh your favorite game man <laughs> oh my oh my god because I started as a little kid Majora's Mask is my favorite Legend of Zelda game hands down it's just so creepy and off-putting. It was uh, the, the story of the creation of the game was hilarious. People, they had the, the engine to build Ocarina of Time. And one a single developer at Nintendo um, was, like, working on making side levels for fun. Like, you know, just because they could. Um, ended up getting the idea, putting it together. And, like, basically it assembled 40 or 50% of the game. Showed it to his, his uh, uh, dev supervisor and was like, we do this it was after master quest ocarina of time master quest had come out um and he's like can we do this and he's like they looked at their schedule like yeah we don't have another game coming out for a couple of years finish it and so they finished majora's mask and it was a super creepy game and it just stuck with me as a kid and i could never be the water temple as a kid came back a couple of years later loaded the disc up ended up getting stuck and couldn't figure out how to get epona out of the lawn lawn ranch that was stuck behind a boulder i just kept getting stuck as a kid and i know for a fact now i could go back and finish that game 100 percent but in my second year of college, I had a friend who was like clearing out a bunch of old games that they were never going to use. They're like, hey, look through it. You know, you're, you know, at that point, I was like the first person to go through the box of stuff they were getting rid of. And it was like magazines, it was some GameCube games. And I scroll through the back, and at the bottom is a box, like a cardboard box. And I pop open the cardboard box, and it's a bunch of N64 cartridges. And in the back was a single gold cartridge. I pop it up, and it's a Majora's Mask gold cartridge. And I was like, dude, are you selling these? And he's like, no, we're giving them away. And I was like, oh, and pocketed that thing so hard. And so I've got that sitting in a box at home somewhere. And I swore to myself that I would not touch the Majora's Mask game again until I had an N64 to plug that cartridge into. And I was going to go and finish that game and, and figure out the end. I've never seen the video. I have no idea how the game ends. I've never actually completed 
anything past getting like the third giant to hold up the moon from crashing into the clock tower. Um, I know nothing about the game and I've stayed pure on it for as long as I could. So the day that I have an N64 and an N64 controller and can, can play the game as it was originally intended is the day that I'll finish it. Dude, man, they're not too expensive now. Honestly, they're not. They're, they're not. I just, I just, now that I got a job, maybe I'll have to save up for one and get one in a, in a capture card pretty soon so I can uh, get that on stream. Oh, First time awesome. oh, I would love to do some old school Zelda on, on, on stream. That would be a blast. I uh I got my dad for Christmas yesterday a uh, an Atari flashback system. So nice. Yeah, it nice. it's I'm I'm proud of that gift. <laughs> I'm very very proud of that one. Dude, like uh it had like 70 75 games that came with it. So it's super 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 cool. Um yeah. I was looking at that really? NES mini for a little while. The NES mini looks like a lot of fun too Ooh. with all those the old Mario games and everything loaded on there. Yes. Yes, dude. Yes. Um, moving on, dude. So tell me about game casting and how that came to be. Okay. So this past summer during the... Oh, God, did we really start playing during the pandemic? We were playing Killer Queen Black. Me and a couple of my friends from high school, actually, um, introduced me to a game called Killer Queen. I was up visiting one of them. All of us had grouped up together up in... Um, uh, uh, Seattle, which where one of my friends is living, and um, had never been before. Uh, that was, mm, I was like March, March or April 2019 on spring break, uh, and we hopped up to Seattle, got up there, and ended up going to a barcade. I'd never been in a barcade before. I'd never been to Seattle before, and they had this big, this this huge um, arcade game in there with two huge TVs and ten game pads um uh, a full full flight stick button game pads and i was like what is this monster of a machine and they said it's killer queen i'm like okay let's play so we get in there and there's like this whole culture for the killer queen arcade game of tournaments and these these uh different bars hosting these tournaments there's not a whole lot of those arcade boxes out there um because they're just really expensive to build like there are these i mean these huge monstrous cabinets uh, and so we played it. It was an awesome game. I was like, yeah, this is super fun. That was long, way back. It's the beginning of this year, and my friends are like, or the end of last year, my friends are like, hey, um, their queen is on Steam now. And I'm like, what? Let's try it out. And so they had partnered with this developer group called Liquid Bit. Liquid Bit had developed the net code for a game, and they're like, or like the structure of a game, like the outreach, like, hey, it's really cool. We think this netcode can work really well. What can we pair this with? They, at that point, one of them was like, "Hey, we know we all know that Killer Queen game. What if we could make that make a connection with the Bumble Bear group that made the game? They made the connection. They made the plan. They put it out, and so they created Killer Queen Black, um, which was the Steam and Switch version, and now also the Xbox version of the Killer Queen game. It's coming to Xbox Game Pass next year, and so we played it. We fell in love with it. We played it a bunch. Um, it was one of the few competitive games I felt I could play without getting too ragey at. Um, played through it and ended up getting pretty decent at the game. I placed I placed Obsidian, which is the highest tier when we were first playing, and I was like super hype. We all flipped out because they had all placed like gold and stuff, and I was not really that great of a game player either. And eventually, we put a um, an indie gaming league team together. So this past summer, we played in the summer league together, or spring spring league we played together. Um, and uh, we competed, played competitively for a little while, had a lot of fun. 
finish the season. People couldn't play the next season, so I hopped in with another team. Um, and that was this past fall season. Yeah, so we, I played with that team in the summer season. Those were Flight of the Bumble Bears. Uh, and then I played with um, uh, this other team in the fall season, but I never really played. I was like an, I was an alternate. I was the backup player. And so we got to the first game of the season. And at that point, I had known that the game casting existed. I had known that there was some content out there. At that point, I had made a couple of highlight videos. I custom made like frame by frame a little animation to do some highlight videos for my team back during the summer league. And they were really cool. They were pretty well received. Um, I knew that having Killer Queen be a part of my content was something that I wanted to do. At that point, I was streaming a little bit, um, was starting to build up the smooth side. And that very first game um, that we played for the fall season with this team was awesome because they had everyone they needed to do. I was there for the backup. I played in the warm-up games. Um, and we got to the game, and I was like, hey, you know, is anybody casting the game today? And they're like, no, we didn't have a caster. We were tier three. You know, we didn't have quite as much attention as, as a lot of the tier one and tier two teams. And I was like, you guys want me to just like hang back and cast and I'll flex in if you, if you know, if we need to switch up something in the game. And they're like, sure, why not? So we started it up and I just sat there and just like play by played the game for the first, for the first couple rounds. Eventually I went in there and played around, stepped back for the last one. And then I game casted the last one. I was like, that was a lot of fun. And I was like, maybe we'll do this again next week. So we get to the next week's game. And um, I'm like, Hey guys, I typed into the, the killer queen black discord. Hey, I'm, you know the backup for this team but they are all set to go so i'm probably just going to game cast you guys want to come hang out and check out the, the game cast and so we did it a couple people tuned in um and my team flew through that game i didn't have to step in so i got the game it was my first time casting an entire game front to back and it was really well received people were like dude that was super fun that was so much hype um are you going to be game casting more in the future i'm like maybe it's fun i enjoy it we'll give it a shot um, and so I did for the next couple of weeks, I would, instead of playing, just do the game casting instead and eventually figured out that I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and it just kind of evolved supernaturally to the point that, uh, I eventually, you know, had the content out there. Um, the, the developers at liquid bit reached out. They're super engaged with the community in the discord. Uh, and we're like, this is super cool. Do you want a content creator tag inside the discord? I'm like, yeah, I definitely do. All right, here's a link to all of the streaming assets that we have. Um, I ended up going and sending an application in to be a, a game caster for the Indie Gaming League to have their stamp on it as well. And they approved it so that I got a bunch of assets from them as well. Um, I ended up juicing up the stream and getting the game cast nice and set and official. Got all of my, uh, my scenes put together so I could transfer, get instant replay going and just like kind of kept working on it bit by bit to the point that we got to you know, the last couple of weeks of the playoffs um, and people were reaching out to me for tier one and tier two games, asking me to game cast the semifinals and finals matches. And I was like, this is so hype. And I love being able to be there and hype up the game and like advocate for this really, really fantastic indie game that deserves a lot more intention while also getting to share that time with all of these people out of the community who want to enjoy it and want to be there for the hype. Um, and so we got there and I was, you know, the last two streams, the last two game casts of the season, we broke, I think it was 55 or yeah, 55 or 65 and 67 viewers respectively, like these huge turnouts, especially compared to other streams on the smooth side. Um, and it was just these huge days, 
huge streams, whole lot of hype. Um, and we wrapped it up and, uh, you know, finished that season off. And I'm like, man, I want to do this. And so I'm set up. We got a stream deck for Christmas. I'm getting all of my Killer Queen stuff uh, set up on the stream deck for nice, quick access. I'm freshening up the stream, the GameCast. Um, got my recording uh, 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 directory all set up so I can get uh, YouTube VODs up and everything. And um, we're going to be hitting this next season starting next week really, really hard as um, a really intentional, not just kind of like naturally evolving, but starting the season off strong as a Killer Queen Black Gamecaster as the main part of the smooth side. Cool, man. That's so cool. It's so cool to see like the people that I'm connected with doing things that you know dreaming as a kid that you never thought that they would do you know like that that's that is wild to me um i should have asked this question before but uh can you explain what uh killer queen black black really is oh okay and what's the premise of the game so killer queen black is a competitive 4v4 game um it is uh it features two different kinds of characters each team is led by a queen um and then each team has three workers on that so the the, they're called bumble bears because the original group that made the game is bumble bear studios so these cute little cute little creatures that run around and um it's a competitive game so the game starts off and there's a couple main features you have the queens which can kill workers and kill each other um they uh there's a, a an orange team and a blue team that each has a hive that you can fill with berries there's little berry piles over the map um, and then there's a big old snail right in the middle of the map as well. And so the game is, like I said, it's a competitive game. And there's three ways to win. Either you can take out the opposing queen three times. Each queen starts off each map with three lives. Um, and if either queen dies three times on any given map, you win that that particular map as a best of, uh, best of five situation for a round. Um, you can also uh, have the workers run around. They can pick berries off of the berry piles around, and if you fill your hive with berries, each hive has just a bunch of holes that are, you know, obvious on the screen. If you fill your hive with berries, you win as an economic victory. Um, and the workers can also hop onto the snail and ride the snail, and there's a goalpost on each side of the map, and if you ride your snail into the goalpost, then you also win. Um, the workers also can get into uh, different gates around the map. There's little gates that can be controlled by the queens. The queens fly over the gate and they claim it for their team. Um, and the workers can hop in there and get upgrades there. They can get a shield upgrade that protects them in the front. They can get a speed upgrade to make them move faster. And then they can also pick up um, military transformations. So you can you basically become this, this big brawny military warrior. Um, you either carry a sword, a mace, or a, or a laser gun. Uh, and fly around the map and be an aggressive military uh, player on the map. And um, the the name of the game is one of those three victory conditions, but it's really a game about zone control and gate control. It's about positioning on the map. Um, the maps are stationary, so you don't see from your own perspective. You see just from the like side-scroll style against, against the side of the map, and there's lateral wraps, there's vertical wraps, the maps are all different and um, have different ways to get around, but you can go through the wrap and appear on the other side. So when you're a queen and you're trying to survive, you, if you're on the bottom of the screen, you better be watching for someone to come popping up from the underside, going through the vertical wrap on the map to come and just like poke you up from the bottom um, or just dive on top of you from the top. It's, it's, it's a fast paced, very competitive game. And uh, it's a lot of fun, it's a lot of fun. Dude that's cool <laughs> man just just hearing you talking about it i can hear that you are um or i could tell that you are very very passionate about this 
Um, I want to know, um, what what's what's the hardest thing about being a caster? Like, what's what's the challenges? What things will you face that that you face now that you that you may face in the future or that you are facing right now and you think you're gonna face in the future? Like, tell me about those. So personally, the most difficult thing is just not having to pee all the time because for whatever reason, my um. My, the community has really taken to the spamming hydrate channel point redemptions in my stream, and I have to get through a whole a whole game cast. Or if I have a night where I'm doing back to backs and doing two games in a row, I need to be like able to sit there for a full, you know, up to like hour, hour and fifteen minutes, and like just keep casting despite having had two full forty eight ounce bottles of water dropped on me with channel points. So just just like bladder control has been a big, but in seriousness. Um, that at least the way that I've cast is just so much hype and it's so much energy. Um, when I'm doing those games, I can, I feel myself wanting to be hype and I just let it out completely unadulterated, completely unhindered. And it's a lot of fun. I can see myself eventually just getting really into it and eventually just like burning myself out, trying to be fully invested on every single game cast. Um, and I am definitely working to find the ways that I can keep that hype up without getting burned out on it. Um, a lot of that has done itself just by how engaged the community is with it and how much support the community has given so far on the smooth side game casts. Um, but realistically, just like keeping that energy up is, is something I can see myself if I don't take time for myself outside of the stream and make sure that I'm doing what I need to do to re-energize. I can see myself getting burned out. So alongside streaming and casting, I've started to develop a really intentional self-care system and like re-energizing system to make sure that I've got the energy and got what I need in me to engage fully on every stream that I can. And you never, you never can be fully there for every single stream, but um, really finding those ways to keep myself engaged and keep myself energized is a big challenge. Um, and the other side of that is just um, finding, finding the things to celebrate no matter who wins and loses. For me on the smooth side, and this, I guess this separates off from game casting specifically a little bit. It's more my, streaming mentality um all of my streams on the smooth side no matter whether it's a game cast or just me hanging out and playing with people or just or, or just playing games on my own um is to be unyieldingly positive and to find the things to love and find the things to be happy and engaged about no matter the situation and that's always gonna have challenges there'll always be different situations presented where you gotta you gotta try to find those things and for me it's worth finding those things because um it's a space that I want people to enjoy being in no matter where they're coming from to find that, that just true goodness, true happiness in there um, all the time. So to go into those competitive mindsets and those competitive games and have a winner and a loser and pull, pull the things that are worth celebrating out no matter what's going on um, can be it's not so much a challenge to actually find those things because there's always things worth celebrating, but convincing people that even in loss, there's things that are worth celebrating can be difficult. And I definitely, you know, take it pretty personally when I'm able or unable to succeed in, in improving people's days, no matter the situation. Um, I just get really, really invested in, in, you know, the people that I engage with. And if they're, if they're not feeling good, if they're not having a good time, I'm like, let me make it, let me, let me make it better for you. Let me, you know, just take my energy, like take the hype here and take the love here and make it better. And um, 
if it doesn't work, I end up taking it pretty personally. So finding a way to to give that to people for them to take if they want and be okay with that is like a personal challenge for sure. You definitely do a good job of uh, giving people energy and uh, it shows in the streams 100%. Like, I remember the first time I tuned into a stream, it, it was like that 100%, man. So I <laughs> I think you're stepping in the right direction, dude. Um, going back to something you said, like that self-care aspect, uh, you, you had mentioned that you used to be 300 pounds, man. So if you want to talk yeah. about that, we can. If you don't, we don't have to. Um, no, but... I, I'm totally, I'm totally open to it. There's very, there's very little that I, I won't talk about, um, especially when it comes to myself, because one of it, it ties together. One of the the ways to look at the world that I've chosen to develop in myself and like hold on to is that it doesn't matter who you were; it matters who you are and how far you've come. That's a big way that I like to lead my life. And um, how can I say that if I don't live that for myself too? So I, yeah, I used to weigh 300 pounds. I maxed out at 297.3. I'll always remember that number. That was the highest, that was the most I ever weighed in my life was 297.3 pounds. Um, you know what's crazy? What's that? I am, I am right there. Like, yeah? I'm, I'm, I'm like 295 to 298 roughly. Yeah. And you know, if you're, if you're healthy and you're living that way and, and you're comfortable being that way, then there's no problem with it. In my opinion, I wasn't back then I was coming out of high school and I was in, in my first years of college and I was not okay being that way. I, I, I didn't like how I felt. I didn't like how I looked. Um, you know, I didn't like that every time I walked into a room and I was like, Oh, she's cute. I just like, well, nothing I can do about it because of, of who I am. Like it just was, it weighed on me physically and mentally. Um, being being that way and so um this can this can be a short story i i didn't like the way i looked um and i ended up joining in a store into a uh, a story uh, a journey with my dad who also was very heavy and um we together were like we don't want to be this way anymore so he and i both at that point were super into pokemon go and um we were both like let's make a difference so we got our calorie counters on our phones um, we, we planned our meals together and every day we got our 10,000 steps, usually just walking. No, not like really intense exercise, just counting calories and walking, um, down to the, to the, to the uh, local tourist spot and back to get our 10,000 steps in every single day. Um, and he and I together dropped a whole person's worth of weight between us, uh, at my, at my absolute, uh, lowest weight over the course of about 14 months I lost 100 pounds and I dropped down to 197 overshot it a little bit down to like 193 and at that point I was pretty I felt pretty skinny I, I definitely had more to lose because I didn't have a lot of muscle mass on me at that point uh, so if I had a little bit of, of, of love I could have gotten down to probably 185 and been like really I mean like looking really good if not a little bit skinny um and eventually that really hardcore calorie counting dietary restricting mentality just couldn't stick with it forever it became really draining ended up jumping back up rubber banding back up to like 240 and was like gotta stop can't go back this direction again and got it back under control so nowadays i'm i'm sitting right around 220 um which is still a, a difference of just under 80 like 75 pounds which is 
still a huge difference from what I from what I was. And um, you know, I still am rocking the the improvements in the quality of my life because of it. And um, after a couple years of kind of fluctuating in and around that two ten to two thirty mark, um, and like finding a way to stay kind of in that range stable, um, and then. Uh, through this pandemic, finding a lot of the things I needed to do for self-care and just to like help my my mental state through this pandemic, have decided that I'm uh, I, once again not not fully satisfied with with how I feel and how I look. Um, so me and uh, the uh, person that I'm hanging spending a lot of time with in my life right now uh, are jumping into a little thing in January with the New Year's. I haven't done a New Year's resolution in a long time, but we're gonna be getting back on that journey really soon. And um, one of my my manifestations for 2021 is to um, be completely self-sustaining, self-supported on my own, living by myself with this new job by my 27th birthday, and to also be back under 200 pounds by my 27th birthday. And um, and and being, being who I need to be to do what I want to do for myself and for the people in my life. Those are awesome goals to have. Uh, I, I feel that I, I well I don't know if I've said it on this podcast before but the people who listen to it may have heard me say this but I'm diabetic um and I almost lost my life um, yeah what? I had yeah I had this thing called a uh, diabetic ketoacidosis and yep. what 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 happens is that um your 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 body starts to change like from the inside you you your, your your kidneys are attacked from the inside out which is it's weird to say like it's it's literally diabetes on crack um when when i got to the hospital the the doctors were were kind of surprised that i even drove myself there cuz when you have this you black out like you'll you'll literally black out um and Jeez. Jeez. i i really could have went into a coma um yeah it was it was a like at that point in my life i was i was like so nonchalant i was like dude i don't care like if, if i die I, I don't care like um i was i was depressed a lot so eating was a big thing for me streaming um kind of helped me take out of that or uh get get out of that uh yeah man like now i wanna i wanna get better do better for my son that's being born for my wife so yeah man i'm over the past five six months i've, I've hmm, a little bit more than that has eight eight months i've lost probably about 30 30 pounds that's like, good bro yeah been, been good. dropping weight yep and it's on a, on a pace that's sustainable too you know back in the day when i was doing it those 14 months to lose 100 pounds is a lot of weight to lose it was a really intense mentality to be in that place all the time and it's just not sustainable doing it in a way that you can keep it up and keep it going having the things you can do in your life to lose it a bit at a time and keep it keep it as part of your life that's that's the way to do it so i respect the i respect the effort you're making bro i respect yeah. the way you're doing i will say this this, this is the last thing that i'm gonna say on this topic um is that uh, obviously you're diabetic some diabetics take insulin um and the sucky thing about insulin is that it helps you retain weight rather than lose it so you have to work even extra on top of that to lose weight and i've been i've been gaining just a little bit i've gained probably like two three pounds in the past month just because uh i've been taking a little bit more insulin insulin than i, I should have been and it's been uh it's been weighing on me but i'm on i'm on medication and, and now so i don't have to take uh insulin as much so it's it's gonna come off really really soon so 
yeah, that's that's really all I wanted to say about that. Um, for sure. no, I empathize with the with the struggle for sure, and I respect the effort you're putting in. Appreciate it. Appreciate it a whole bunch. Um, kind of winding down here, dude. I want to know where did Smooth Brain Sev come from? I want to know. I, I I think that you you know uh, you knew this question was gonna come. So probably. I, I yeah. I I expected it for sure. Um. All right. So one major thing about me and games growing up was that I was a brutal rager as a kid playing games. I mean, yeah, not good. Like, like every, every YouTube video you've seen of, 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 of kids getting mad, playing games, throwing controllers, throwing headsets and stuff. That was me. hundred percent. I, I have a bag, my childhood home that has all seven of my broken controllers saved in it because as much as I was a rager as a kid, I didn't like it. I didn't know how to get past it, but I didn't like it. And so I held on to all those controllers as a reminder to try to get myself out of that mentality one day, however I could figure it out. Um, the One of the tables that I used to play on as a kid that I had all my stuff up has a bunch of dents in it from me throwing my controller down on getting the triggers, denting the wood and stuff. I mean, I mean, truly like full blown screaming, yelling, cussing at the tv and everything it was it was i mean it's what it was you know that's 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 who i was with games as a kid and you know you can tie that into you know being really not okay with failure doing the absolute minimum but then like not able to succeed and in games that you know i did the minimum couldn't perform and so i failed and i and i you know took it really personally and and was raged and was blaming myself and mad at myself over a video game like it was just it was just childish, truly, and didn't ever get know how to get past it. So, growing up, way back when we were playing Rock Band, like we talked about earlier, um, uh, we uh, uh, realized that our last name, my last name in real life, spelled backwards, is spelled uh, spells out severe, the word severe, um, but just a little misspelled, S-E-V-E-E-R. And... Um, and so we use that to like make a like a severe business, like a, like a rock band name on the on the game. And so it was like it just stuck around for a long time. Eventually, I was like, okay, severe. Hey, on that's my that's my full name. Noah Reeves, my full name. Um, you can figure that out. It, it has to be part of the story. So there you are. There's my easy. full name. Noah Reeves stalks me if you dare. Um, and I figured so, that out easy, by the way. Yeah. Like I was I was like, oh, that's his name. Okay, that's my name. Yeah, so severe Heyon. It was was what I went by for all my games for a really long time, the, all the way back to league days. I went by severe Heyon in Minecraft, like that kind of all kind of stuff. And so it stuck with me. Eventually got into Destiny. Eventually started playing with groups of people, and severe Heyon, just like no one could say it right. You're like seven, severe. Se, se, like I was like Sev is fine. And so I just started going by Sev um, on all of my all of my games, all my online stuff. Um. And that was what, that's who I was on PlayStation or on PC for, for five or six years. Um, earlier this year, we were playing, I still had my, you know, my occasional raging moment. I eventually stopped playing player, uh, PvP, Crucible stuff in Destiny and playing PvP games in general because I just couldn't handle the, the, the competitiveness of it. And I would just end up getting super frustrated and, and uh, not quite, at that point, not quite headset throwing and controller throwing, um, but definitely you know, still pretty upset in a way that I didn't like in games. Um, 
and one night we were doing a raid with my with my clan in Destiny, uh, and I did something real dumb in in PVE, and I was getting super frustrated, and I was like, I'm just having a bad night, and they're like, Yeah, bro, why are you smooth braining over there? Somebody said to me, and I was like, Bro, I'm just like, Yeah, man, I'm just like full smooth brain tonight, I guess, and we started laughing about it. And um, it's like, yeah, bro, smooth brain Seb over here, like, just what a, you know, making these smooth moves. And I'm like, and we started laughing about it. And for the rest of the raid, they just kept calling me smooth brain Seb for the rest of the night. And I started calling myself smooth brain Seb. And by the end of that raid, I was laughing so much at, at my distractedness and the dumb stuff that I was doing in the game that I was having fun. And I was like, wait, if I laugh at myself, can I actually enjoy games? What? And so for the next little while, the next couple weeks, you know, every time I I did something dumb in a game, whether it was PvP or PvE, I was like, bro, that's just that's just your boy. That's just your boy Smooth Brain Seb over here, like doing something dumb again and laughing at it. And at that point, through the pandemic and all of the mental health struggles that come out of that, through just like my bad mental health state with games as a whole, um, I started laughing at myself playing games and started enjoy, truly enjoying playing games again for the first time in a really, really long time. Um, and it was just a full full turnaround. I, I could start playing my story games again, like um, like Bioshock and, and all of that, and finish that uh, game off and, and love it and play. And then when things were going wrong and things were, were not going the way that they needed to go in game for me to win, I was just laughing at it. And it truly that one night completely changed my perspective on how to hold myself playing games. And I surpassed a lot of those frustrations in a way that I never could before in my life. A couple of weeks later, my, my uh, friend Wraithbound CA and I had the bright idea to start streaming for fun and being like, yeah, why not? We have a bunch of free time. I was still unemployed at that point. And so we did, we hopped on there. Um, I did a little bit of streaming in the Discord of our clan, and you know, a couple people hung out. We're like, "Yeah, this is fun, dude. You're actually kind of, you're actually kind of fun to hang out and play and like watch play these games." I'm like, "Okay," and so we started hopping on Twitch and doing a couple things here and there, um, and started it up. Tried to make an effort. A couple weeks later, after that, uh, Glad, the big Destiny streamer, had a Twitter thread pop up, um, and it's like, "Hey, introduce yourself. If you're a streamer, use this space. I know it's super like taboo to go and like plug yourself on other people's channels." I want people to find each other, plug your channel, plug who you are. And I scrolled through that entire Twitter thread, found every single person that I could that was interesting, that seemed interesting to me, engaged, found a bunch of connections. Next week, I hit affiliate. And I just rolled with it. Smooth Brain Sev was the name of the channel. Um, and I was, in fact, the smooth brain of that channel. Uh, and just used it to keep laughing at myself and to start that, that channel off really as a place to just not take yourself seriously not take anything seriously just hang out have fun and me being who i am i wanted it to be a positive space for everybody so just started pumping that more and more and um five months later we've got 321 followers and people hanging out wanting to be there for the positivity wanting to be there because it really is just a space of self-love and loving each other and giving each other the space they need to be who they are, no matter who you are. And at the end of the day, um, laughing at our mistakes, uh, loving who we are despite them, and um, and kind of taking that 
laugh at yourself smooth brain mentality to heart in a lot of ways for me in my real life and on stream and um and it's truly for me made a huge difference in my life in every aspect of it no doubt dude you love to see it man you you'd love to see it man i'm i'm like i can i can uh kind of put two and two together like how you came to love video games again and how you learn how to deal with the rage is self-care in and of itself true so 100 yeah you, you you were making waves like even though you didn't even know you were making waves like you were you were taking care of yourself and you didn't know it and that's that's the cool part when it becomes a part of you and you can look back and say hey this is where i really changed like that's that's a that's a cool little monument to uh to to look back on i, I completely agree and i'm gonna hold that that day and the people that were in that chat and, and people that got me started really close to home for a, my whole life. No doubt about it. Dude, that's really cool. I've got one last question before we uh, go ahead and wrap up this uh, episode of the podcast, but um, what, okay. So what does smooth brain even mean? Okay. I've, I, as, when you were talking about that, I was like, yo, what does that mean? Like, just like, it's like being smooth in the brain. Just like you're sitting there, you're 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 running the the raid. You know what's going on, and you just kind of like days off, and you're you know you're WASDing around, and you just like walk off an edge. You just, you just <laughs> die, and you and you wipe. The and you're like, bro, what were you thinking? I like, I I wasn't thinking, bro. My brain just smoothed over. Got all those wrinkles in your brain. Got all you know, like the brain's got so much mass in there because it's like folded in on itself, and it's got so many ridges and whatnot. That ain't me. It's one smooth brain. It's got no <laughs> curves, no wrinkles. It's just like a shiny, like if you could flatten that out, it'd be just like a pink old mirror, like just pure smooth. And it just, it's just like, there's no room in there for anything. You're just going to sit there and, and, and smooth brain out and do some dumb shit sometimes. And it's okay. And it's, and it's okay. It happens sometimes to everybody. Dude, I a hundred percent feel that, man. You have no idea how many times. And like, even like, do you know how many times I've walked off an edge in destiny? I haven't oh, played I, Destiny I, I, in a long time, but I've walked yeah. off some edges, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. Um, but, Chef, uh, wrapping up the podcast here, man, where can these lovely listeners of the podcast find you online? So I'm in a couple places. I'm obviously on Twitch at twitch.tv slash smoothbrainsev. Um, we got a Smooth Side Community Discord, and uh, the best place to find the link to that Discord is on Twitch. Uh, that's going nice. Then we looked at it, it was like 77 strong today, so... To all my smooth siders who have hopped into the Discord, jumped across platform, appreciate you guys. Thank you for being a part of it. We're also we're on Twitter where we do a lot of our stream announcements um, and looking forward to announcements over at twitter.com slash sevsmoothbrain because Twitter switched it for some reason. Uh, and then on Instagram for uh, some visual content, including No Man's Sky photography um, and whatever else we've got going on over at Smoothbrain Sev as well. And that's, that's where we're at. Sev. It's been real, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate your friendship. Appreciate you just grinding out Twitch and content creation, getting to know a little bit more about you and your life and where you come from and the things that you've done. It's It's been such a vibe to get to talk to you, man. Appreciate it so much. Appreciate you having me. You're a great host, a great streamer, a great content creator, and I'm really looking forward to see what you uh, what you bring to the Twitchverse in 2021, brother. Man, it's it's gonna be a vibe, dude. I've got so much planned up here, dude. Oh, I'm ready for it, dude. I'm ready. Yes, sir. Cheers, brother, yes, sir. and uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays, my friend. Yeah.